Today's episode of the two-man power trip of wrestling is brought to you by Comda.com. This Sunday, Comda.com presents Bound for Glory live from the Melrose Ballroom in New York City as Impact Wrestling brings you its biggest show of the year as Austin Aries defends the Impact Championship against Johnny Impact. It's an epic showdown that we can't wait to witness live in New York this coming Sunday at the Melrose Ballroom for Impact Wrestling's Bound for Glory, and with Comda.com, they are your promotional experts where you get factory and direct items that are cheaper than anywhere else you are going to find, and if it's not Comda, then you are spending way, way too much. How can you deny it when it's one of the largest companies in North America? The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the Boogie Woogie Man. Tell my people my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again i appreciate you asking me back so you said you were going to pinch yourself i didn't know it was that kind of show now i mean if you guys are in the privacy of your own home if you want to do these things good how you doing chad hey johnny cool man what's going on we're ready to go or what uh, hey man what's up guys this is homicide oh that's my homie homicide with a big homie club yeah that would be it hey this is david penzer and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. No fancy maneuvers, but that comes from years of experience. And San Martino holds the rope open for Zabisco to look. Uh oh. Oh, look out! Zabisco going to work on San Martino. Zabisco sending San Martino to the buckle. Down to the canvas. And Zabisco on the outside now. Zabisco has a chair. Zabisco has a chair, sends the referee flying out. Zabisco's cranking San Martino, and he really let him have it. Oh no, the blood pouring. San Martino cut wide open. Again. San Martino pleading profusely. 
This is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Brought to you today and powered by Comda.com. Comda.com, your promotional experts bringing you factory, direct, and cheaper promotional items. If it's not Comda, you are spending way too much. And if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad. And as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner here on the two-man power trip, the one and only J.P. John, pause, and John, as we welcomed in Comda.com, I got to mention off the top, courtesy of Comda.com, we just gave away two VIP tickets to Impact Wrestling's Bound for Glory pay-per-view this coming Sunday at the Melrose Ballroom in New York City. We announced the promotion via Twitter earlier in the week, and uh, very excited to be partnered with Comda.com for this amazing event. So check out Impact Wrestling's Bound for Glory this coming Sunday as former guest Austin Aries takes on another former guest in Johnny Impact, also known as John Hennigan, John Morrison, Johnny Nitro, in an epic showdown that we can't wait to witness live. Tune into Bound for Glory, Impact Wrestling, a huge pay-per-view, their biggest show of the year this coming Sunday. John, we got a huge show on tap today as we welcome in the living legend, Larry Zabisco, who this coming weekend will be with us in New Jersey at the Legends of the Ring convention in Monroe. Always looking forward to kind of hanging out in the Legends of the Ring convention room, but this time hanging out with Larry Zabisco, you cannot deny that's going to be a lot of fun. But John, we've talked to Larry Zabisco in the past and we've had a lot of discussions with him uh, about different things, but this time there was a little bit more of a focus on that that time period of the WWF where Larry Zabisco was uh, pretty much one of the most hated heels in professional wrestling. So as I welcome you in here now, let's get right into it and start talking about the living legend. I mean, he's hilarious to talk to, but he's got such a deep history, especially in the territory that we're going to be in taking over the uh, the WWF from uh, his mentor there, Bruno San Martino, in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. But what do, you, what do we have to look forward to today in this episode? This is a fun one, but what do you have to say about this episode with Larry Zabisco? So many great things to talk about and go over. Of course, when you talk to Larry and you think about Larry, you think about him being the living legend, you kind of think about his mentor, Bruno San Martino, and obviously getting that nickname, the living legend, from Bruno. So, of course, Bruno was a big topic of discussion. One thing that I didn't think we'd get too much mileage out of, but we got a lot of mileage out of, was talking about current wrestling and today's wrestling. So you go from Bruno, the legends of the past, and then we talk about all the way to today and about what he thinks about current wrestling, who he may be watching current wrestling with every Monday night, which is very funny and very interesting, and a, and a great story from Larry, and kind of what he thinks about the current state of WWE and Raw and SmackDown and them traveling abroad. So I get a lot of good stuff from Larry. Of course, one of my favorite things when we talk to Larry Zabisco is his time in WCW. And we do go deep into that. We talk about his feud in the early to mid nineties with one Steven, AKA William Regal. We talk about the NWO and how awesome that feud is. The matches against Bischoff, the matches against Scott Hall, his role as a commentator, him being super over in WCW and being one of the most over guys when he was there. The little finger twirls, the crowd we talk about that we talk about the human game of chess i mean there's so much great stuff with with uh, larry to go over and i'm really excited to be kind of hanging out with him this saturday in new jersey at legend of the ring i mean i'll be picking him up friday night very late but uh, hanging out with him all day saturday is going to be a very very cool 
And Chad, I know one thing about you. You love the Bruno San Martino feud with Fiery. I know you love the Scott Hall stuff and the feud with the NWO, but I also know this. You loved his time in the AWA. Oh, my gosh. I love that time in the AWA. It was one of those things that when you first discovered there was professional wrestling on at odd times of the afternoon, uh, the AWA kind of filled that, that wrestling palette for you. And I absolutely love that late 80s, uh, 1987, 1988. 1986, too, was an amazing year for the AWA. But if you've never gone and watched Larry Zbysko be the lead heel of the AWA, then you're really missing out because, I mean, he just absolutely uh, let it all fly out. And really, if you, if you wanted to compare him to, like, this day and age, he would be that top independent heel draw that you saw going from company to company. And he left himself, he let himself be so flexible during that time period that he could kind of uh, let himself go to different areas. But that time in the AWA in the late 80s is, uh, is one of my favorite times. And obviously, he's got his connections to Vern Gagne um, from the, uh, the family perspective. But, you know, he really did kind of let us into what it was like at that point. Was Vern kind of holding on to um, what may have been the glory years of the past, and did they really evolve the AWA product, which has been a big point of contention with people. So getting to talk more about that with Larry Zbysko, I think when we had him on the first time, we really didn't cover it that much, uh, because I think we really focused on the WCW side of things in the first interview, and this time I really feel like we uh, we just kind of let it you know, all hang out and disperse things a lot more evenly than we did uh, the first time we had him on, which if you want to go back and find that interview, that is all the way back in our first year in 2015 it's a great it's about a one hour interview and it was uh it was a lot of fun if you listen back to it i mean we're green as (laughs) green as goose shit as they say but we cover topics on that show that we didn't cover with him on this one so if you want to kind of fill in some holes take a listen in the archives for that you can hit up the podomatic app for that one but john you know we did talk about wcw again like you said we did talk about the awa but we also covered his comments on the passing of bruno which I haven't really heard out there that much. And that was one thing when we talked to superstar Billy Graham, I kind of wanted to get from him was that reflection on the career of Bruno. But really, there's nobody better than the guy who was his mentor, and that's Larry Zbysko. So that was, uh, to me, that was one really poignant part of the interview was asking him about Bruno's passing. Yeah, that was kind of something I was thinking to myself. I was like, man, it's so shockingly, he didn't get interviewed or, or nobody really talked to him about it. And he played a huge role in the latter stages of Bruno's career. And obviously Bruno played such a big role in his career and, you know, he was his protege and Bruno was his mentor. So that's like kind of an easy, um, you know, um, an, an easy tie in there and an easy way to get a good quote for an interview and things like that. So it was interesting that for what I've heard, we're kind of the first ones to really bring that up and, and get his, feelings and get his thoughts about Bruno and get his reflections on his relationship with Bruno San Martino. So that was really, really, really good part of the interview. Cause you know, when you look back at that feud, it really did put Larry on the map. And the fact that he turned on him the way he did was shocking and their matches always drew very well. I mean, the showdown at Shea drew tremendously. So Larry and Bruno, I mean, tied together pretty, pretty strongly. And, you know, a lot of people mentioned with Bruno the few with Superstar Billy Graham or Ivan Koloff. And, I mean, God, I mean, there's so many big names, Stan Hansen, so many big names and big-time wrestlers that he feuded with. Well, Larry Zbysko and that feud is right up there 
as one of the top feuds. And I just love that he gets the, the nickname, if you will. He gets the moniker, if you will. He becomes the living legend. And that gets the stamp of approval from Bruno himself. So that just goes to show you all you need to know about the legend that is Larry Zabisco. So let's hear it. What's the uh, the network recommendation? Because there's a lot of Larry Zabisco content on the WWE Network. I mean, you can start with the WWF stuff and Bruno. You could cover the AWA and the super cards that are on the network. You could cover WCW and whether it's the Dangerous Alliance or whether it's commentating and taking on the NWO or, come on, it's referenced in this interview, the epic turn of Dusty Rhodes on WCW and taking out Larry Zbysko with a stiff, stiff elbow drop. So where are you sending us, John, for this uh, Larry Zbysko recommendation? I got to mention War Games 1992. That is Wrestle War 1992 Sting Squadron versus the Dangerous Alliance. I got to mention it. Larry Z plays a big role in that match. Big time importance. So ch- check that out. It is on the WB Network. Excuse me. WBNetwork.com slash TMPT for your free month of the WB Network. But that show is on WB Network. Go to WCW Pay-Per-Views. Go to 1992. Go to Wrestle War 92. And fast forward all the way to the War Games match, because it's one of the greatest War Games matches of all time. It gets the five stars from Dave Meltzer. It's just an unbelievable match. And the Cruncher himself, the living legend Larry Zbysko, plays a huge role in that match. I guarantee you will love that match. It is absolutely amazing. Meltzer hits the nail on the head. Definitely a five-star match. So again, that is WBNetwork.com slash TMPT for your free month of the WB Network. And don't forget, I'm talking about War Games from Wrestle War 1992. Oh, yeah. Love that. Love hearing about the Enforcers. Love hearing about that era of WCW. And really looking forward to hanging out with Zabisco that day, uh, Saturday, at Legend of the Ring. It's going to be a lot of fun. So if you're going to join us, you're in the New York, New Jersey, tri-state area. If you're down in Philly, get on up to uh, Legend of the Ring in Monroe. It's always a great convention. One of my favorite ones of the year. And it's always a great collection of guys. There's going to be an amazing... Uh, very rare, very, very rare photo op between Tony Gurria and Larry Zabisco, one that we've been told hasn't been done uh, in the area. So we're going to be happy to uh, kind of be a part of that and just to uh, hear some of the stories. And also, we can't uh, we can't forget him. And if we did, we'd suffer the avalanche. But King Kong Bundy is also going to be at our table at Legends of the Ring as well. So if you're in the area, come by and uh, get, a, get a special avalanche. Get, get sat down for the five count by uh, King Kong Bundy, and also stay for a little Larry Zabisco. So with all that being said, John, we want to thank Comda.com for giving us two amazing VIP tickets to Impact Wrestling's Bound for Glory at the Melrose Ballroom in New York City this coming Sunday as Austin Aries takes on Johnny Impact in an epic showdown. Uh, Very happy to be a part of this promotion. Very happy to those who took advantage of trying to win and hopefully in the future, we will do more of these. And again, Comda.com for all your promotional needs, factory, direct, and cheaper. If it's not Comda, then you're spending too much. So thank you very much to Comda.com. And uh, always thank you to Figures Toy Company for being a part of the show. Head on over to FiguresToyCompany.com. Check out the legends of professional wrestling and rising stars of professional wrestling lines as uh, over 30 figures have been added to the figure database of wrestling superstore 
Uh, with more to come, they keep on releasing more prototypes and more images of who's coming on the way. Uh, we talked about it on the Triple Threat podcast this past week. They announced that Chris Candido's estate has signed a deal to make a Chris Candido figure. So it's kind of in the same realm as what Shane's figure was. It hasn't been made in over 20 years. And we haven't seen a Chris Candido figure hit the shelves. So that's coming soon. And please, you know, continue to stay tuned to the Two Man Power Trip and Triple Threat Podcast because there is a lot, a lot of things going on. So with all that being said, John, let's do what we do best. Let's hit him with a little bit of Two Man Power Trip of wrestling business. And let's get it on over to the living legend, Larry Zabisco. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno San Martino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rhodes, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr. Glenn Kane Jacobs, the phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Magnum TA, and so many others. Also, while you're on the web, check out our website, tmptofwrestling.com. And for all you Android users, please hit us up on Google Play or Player FM. And all you iOS users, please check us out on TuneIn Radio, Automatic, Spotify, and now iHeartRadio. And now, without any further ado, a former two-time AWA World Heavyweight Champion. He's also a former WWE. WF Tag Team Champion, as well as a WWE Hall of Famer. You may know him as the Cruncher or the Living Legend. He is Larry Zabisco. Enjoy. Tonight is a man known as the living legend who will be appearing alongside of us in Monroe, New Jersey on October 13th at the Legends of the Ring convention. Whenever you get to talk to him, you know you're in for one big human game of chess as we welcome in a two-time former AWA world champion, a former WCW tag team and television champion, as well as a WWWF tag team champion, and of course a WWE Hall of Famer. He is the living legend, Larry Zabisco. Mr. Zabisco, welcome back to the two-man power trip. 
Well, thank you very much. That was a, a hell of an intro there. I, uh, I appreciate it. it. Sounded very good. Thank you very much. Well, you know, you're no stranger to that New Jersey territory, the New York, New Jersey area, a place that you mastered, dominated, and left quite the stamp in in the uh, early 1980s. Of course, we all know culminating in Shea Stadium and your huge feud with your mentor, Bruno San Martino. But how do you feel about getting back into the New Jersey area and seeing some of these rabid New Jersey wrestling fans? Oh, yeah. Well, the fans are great there, but it brings back such nostalgic memories, that whole area. I mean, uh, when I went, the very first day when I started for the WWWF, you know, like 1973 or something, I remember driving from Pittsburgh and coming up along New Jersey, you know, and you'd see the New York skyline and get a glimpse of the Statue of Liberty for the very first time, you know, some 22-year-old kid driving through the Connecticut. I, me and Gurria were living in New Haven, Connecticut at that time. And then I bought a house in Parsippany, New Jersey in 1980. But, uh, but, but, those, but those, those was the, the great years. I mean, uh, the, the big hot years of the, you know, break it into the business and, and that WWWF territory, the Northeast was, you know, the biggest one of all with the garden and the, a lot of nostalgia memories for me there. Then that, that's like being back home. Hey, they say if you make it there, you can make it anywhere in that, uh, the New York territory. And obviously you went on and did a ton of stuff outside of the New York territory, which is funny because if you talk to wrestling fans from that era, they still hate your guts. I mean, so it's kind of funny oh, to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you did your job well. They, they still hate your guts. You still say uh, Larry Zabisco. They say, well, that's the uh, that's the jerk that turned on Bruno. But you went on and you did so much cool stuff outside of the New York territory. Do you look back at that and are you surprised with where you went from being in New York and being that number one heel to literally never coming back and mastering the rest of the wrestling world? Well, yeah, it was an interesting career, and it was uh, it was uh, the time that I was in the business because the, the eras were changing, and I was one of the guys uh, in that kind of age group that went through a couple different ones. When I started and got involved with the Bruno, which was like my big legacy, you know, that kind of marked the end of an era. Bruno's Bruno's era was coming to an end. And guys his age were retiring and getting too old to do it. And there was a new era starting of national television and pay-per-view. And it, it was just kind of an interesting coincidence because of the way it worked. But right after the big hot Bruno feud and, you know, me being in that Northeast, you know, the WWWF for that long a time for being a most hated heel, it was time for me to leave because otherwise I would have got burnt out. So I went to some other territories as an era changed. And Vince uh, was the one that saw the new era coming of the nationwide TV, where the other promoters were the old school guys, like Byrne and some other guys, the Crockett's, who wanted to keep things the way that they had them with their nice little setups and their little territories. But the world was changing, and then all the top guys from each territory wound up going to the WWWF because of the birth of national cable. 
And that left me a big opening because all the territories are good ones. You can make money in the AWA and the NWA. They always needed a top guy because all the rest of them went to the WWWF at the beginning of that era. And then I got a chance to be in another era doing 10 years of the broadcasting. So a whole other generation, uh, you know, got to know me. And then I got, uh, you know, involved in the, another one of the, it's kind of the, the biggest thing in my life was the Bruno feud for the one era. And then another biggest feud, you know, battling the New World Order on WCW was kind of the end of my wrestling uh, career on the other end of the, the the last big thing, you know, the NWO. And then the cherry on top was the, you know, induction into the Hall of Fame by my mentor. It was a, the perfect ending. Now, there's uh, there's so much to cover there. Yeah, obviously, you know, the, the, the second like gasp of air from the wrestling fans was seeing you in the late 90s on Nitro and taking on Scott Hall and Eric Bischoff, and that was great. But talking about, you know, that AWA mid-80s Pro Wrestling USA, those ventures where everybody tried to take on the WWF, it's funny if you kind of see the parallels between how the business is hot today on the independent level. Like you said, you were like the guy. Like you would be the guy who would be that counter superstar to who was in the national promotions like the NWA or the WWF. And even though the AWA was on ESPN, it was like it was cool to see that you would be popping up in, in different spots. And I can kind of see the parallels with what the kids are doing today with uh, some of these other uh, upstarts that they're trying to get off the ground. Yeah, I mean, it worked out, it worked out good for me, you know, uh, because of those two, they always needed, uh, you know, a top guy. And uh, ESPN was a nationwide cable. And then if I was with the Crockett's, PBS was a nationwide cable. So I always made sure I had a top spot on a national cable. Would have been cool if something would have worked out, you know, with the WWF or WWE, you know, and then the WWE. But, but the way it worked out was just, you know, they were always full of guys. And they had their, you know, their guys. Uh, it was better for me to go to the other territories that needed the guys. Do you think the AWA gets the recognition that it should looking back? Because obviously WWE owns the footage and they haven't put too much of it out. They put out a DVD over 10 years ago at this point, And I don't really see them using the footage as much as they should be. But do you think with the ESPN exposure that you still see it pop up every so often, do you think the AWA kind of gets <laughs> lost to time? Oh, maybe. I mean, it's been a while. As, as time goes on, you know, we, AWA and the NWA have become like the pyramids. <laughs> but um, it was classic stuff, and you know, and it was really good stuff. And a lot of the characters—I mean, Mean Gene, Bobby the Brain, Jesse Ventura—that's the territory that even where you know, for the first time, the big guy Hogan became a hero, you know, and then went back to the WWF as the as the Hulk hero. He kind of made that in the AWA. And Ken Patera, and there was a bunch of Rick Flair started in the AWA training up there with Vern. And, uh, you know, I mean, it, it was funny when ESPN, it was some years ago, God, maybe seven, eight years ago already, that they were playing those, uh, you know, on TV. And uh, I remember I was doing some TNA stuff and they were playing the reruns on uh, ESPN. And I was such an asshole back then. 
all the guys were running up to me, like AJ Styles and the Abyss and Christopher Daniels and some other guys. And they'd, they'd all run up to me and they go, how could you do that? How could you be <laughs> such an asshole? <laughs> they, could, they couldn't believe it. <laughs> the business needs more assholes. <laughs> which is which is great too that you ended up being the savior of uh, WCW. But one more thing about the AWA for me: Do you think Vern kept a really good eye on the business at that point? Do you think he was kind of uh, stuck in his ways, and that maybe had been his biggest downfall in the late the later years, maybe well, like uh, the last two years of the AWA? Yeah. yeah, I mean, Vern was a you know old school promoter. He was you know, very successful. And the territory worked great, and you know he he really wasn't into the world changing. He was already kind of too old, and and in fact, me and some other people were trying to get him to shut the AWA down. You know, two or three years before it did shut down, because you know it just wasn't getting run right, and you know his top guy was still Nick Bockwinkle and Greg Gagne. Yeah, I mean it's like. Come on, Vern, you know, but you know, he was a diehard. And uh but, but finally, you know, the territory just went but but he was just you know, that kind of guy from that from that era. And the you know, his era was over. We we, we all get our turns and then we leave. <laughs> but then you got to like you said before, then you got to kind of make another impression in WCW. And I'm not even talking about the, the awesome run you had as, as an announcer and then a few with the NWO. I loved when you kind of first came in or, you know, you were there a little bit and then you really settled in. But I love when you team with Arn and you guys were the enforcers and then you joined the Dangerous Alliance. I love when you were the cruncher. You, you look fondly ab- about that time, uh, you know, that what, time in WCW? What, you know what? Not really. It's <laughs> <laughs> a funny story, but, but that's how, you know, I, I kind of got into a new era over that. Uh, me and Arn, I, I was never big. I, I'd rather be a single guy. You know, I was. I wasn't big on being a tag team guy. Single guys were bigger stars and made more money. But when I was, you know, getting close to forty years old and tagging with Arn, it was great. The enforcers were over, and for some reason, me and Arn clicked. And Arn was great, great character, great guy. We had a great time on the road, but we, we, we would walk out into these towns and the, the, the place would pop. I mean, oh, I mean, we got heat. And I, I loved tagging with Arn. It, it, it was good. The enforcers actually should have went longer than it did. I was willing to do it, and so was Arn. But then the politics changed the turner. Bill Watts came in. And when he came in, they just started this dangerous alliance group. And I wasn't big on being in a group, and I wasn't big on Bill Watts when he came in to run the company, because his theory was anybody 40 years old is a waste of time, and uh, he's all for, you know, new young guys, which on one hand, you know, could be a good idea, but he just wanted to push Eric Watts. Hmm. But when Bill Watts came in, and I didn't want to be part of a group, I, uh, I, uh, it was a strange coincidence, but I needed a knee surgery, a little cartilage cleanup. So I had the, the company is very nice, you know, took care of me, paid for the knee surgery. But that took me out of the wrestling group. And while I was doing my rehab for my knee, I was still under contract. 
one of the producers came up to me and said, hey, Larry, can you do us a favor and come in and do some voiceovers? Because they just fired Jesse Ventura, who's there. <clears throat> and I said, yeah, okay. I feel guilty getting paid doing nothing. So I went down and, and helped them out doing some voiceovers. After doing a couple of shows, this executive producer, the one guy, comes running in and he says, gee, you're the best color guy we've ever heard. Would you like to be a color guy? And they and this is the time Turner start giving away money. And then they come back and said, you know, and say, would you like to be a color guy? We'll give you this much a year. And I went, really? You'll make me an employee too? Yeah, we'll make you an employee, give you all the benefits and give you I was making more money working a day a week doing the broadcast than I was wrestling. <laughs> and uh, at first it kind of shocked me because I'm going, God, I've been wanting to be like Bruno and I'm lining up being Tony Schiavone. <laughs> but but, uh, it, but that's the way it kind of worked out. It just kind of happened. I didn't plan it. And I guess I was just natural at it. So I just started doing the voiceovers and it clicked in and I loved it and then realized, you know, hey, I got a whole new generation that's getting into me here. But I had to soften up the character. I couldn't be the kind of a-hole I was and be a good color guy because you have to talk about the guys in the ring that make them the stars. And, and, uh, you know, and then the living legend, the older I got, the more I fit the part, I guess. <laughs> but then the New World Order was uh, another cherry on top. I mean, you know, I was involved in that, you know, and got it going, and then Hall and Bischoff, they were both great. I mean, Talk about the heat. I mean, even in the end of the 90s, I mean, people were diving over rails trying to punch fish off. Uh, they were throwing crap in the ring. I mean, it was great. Ratings were an 11, and I mean, it was outrageous. So uh, we were selling out you know, 20, 30,000 seat buildings in an hour. It was, it was hot. Oh, my God, boy. The end of, end of, that end was of a great era. You, you you know it's exciting and you know that era ended and uh, and now wrestling is it's going into a new era a new era is exploding on the scene they're going global it's a global network era business is getting huge the stock went from like eight dollars to ninety dollars or something mm-hmm. I mean it, you know I mean uh, it, it, the company's awesome they share the talent. Talent's super well trained at the performance center, which is cool for me because it's right down the street. So I go down there and I've been doing some things and I can't help it. But we're going to make some, some, uh, some great start. I think it's time now where, where this era needs it. It's new stars because, you know, Cena's gone and, you know, Austin's gone. You know, the stars are gone. Undertaker's got what the last time ever coming up, you know, so that. There's an era coming to an end, and a new one's underway. And we're going to get some guys ready for it. It's going to be great. And it seems like, you know, we'll definitely want to get back into a little bit of current wrestling, but it definitely seemed like back when you were feuding with the NWO, that was kind of a changing in the guard a little bit in almost full circle because Hall and Bishop knew you very well from AWA. They always said, you know, you took care of them, you helped them along, you tutored them, you mentored them. And then when they're over huge and, you know, and they're getting tremendous heat with the NWO, then they kind of, you know, let you, you know, push you a little bit and get you over and you get to few with those guys. So a little bit of full circle. Is that kind of a cool experience for you? Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. It was a cool, it's a circle of life, you know, and, 
even now when I, when I go down to the performance center to talk to some of the students at Full Sail and and that I feel like Larry One Kenobi. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, but that's uh, the end of the era. Like Bruno passed knowledge down to me. There's not too many guys left that know what you know I know and some other guys know. There's, there's not many left, but, but uh, the fun part is passing it down to uh, a new generation. And, and uh, he sees the perfect place, and I, I think there's going to be some uh, some great uh, stars popping up. I think people are going to be freaking out pretty soon, but I'm not going to say any more. <laughs> <laughs> now, to reveal a little bit behind the curtain... You were watching Raw recently with a with another WWE legend. Is that something you like to do? Is that something you like to watch Raw pretty much every week and kind of keep up to date on, on some of these younger guys coming up? Well, yeah, it, it became kind of a ritual. My friend Terry, every Monday I go over to Terry Taylor's house and we watch Raw. And he's got two boys. And so me and the guys hang out. But every Monday night we watch Raw together because we want to know what's going on. And uh, so we watch it together every Monday. Yeah. So I, <laughs> so I watch Raw because I want to know what's going on and, and uh, you know, how to keep uh, things going. Can you even compare Raw now to Nitro at its peak? I mean, is there any kind of comparisons? Because to me, it's night and day. I mean, Nitro, the crowds were so into it. It was so immensely popular. It was crazy. And now, yes, the yeah. business is up and they're doing great, but it doesn't seem like the live crowds are really that great anymore. Well, yeah, well, I think with, 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 it's in the cycle where, like I said, you know, the Cena's are gone, the Rocks are gone, the Austin's are gone. And Undertaker's, you know, got one foot in the grave. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, but they, and it, they, they, they need some new stars. I mean, when, when I watch Raw, you know, I mean, I'm watching guys now that I've seen for the last three, four years, basically having the same match over and over with this constant running across into clotheslines and running across the ring into someone's foot. Every match is running around. And I think, you know, it's, it's just like wrestling always does. It gets to a point and then it's just the nature of the beast. It changes because you're doing one thing so long gets stale. So you give the audience something different. So we'll make them some new stars and hopefully do some stuff different. <laughs> I just loved Nitro's. more closed line, I'm going to hang myself. <laughs> they definitely overdo some moves. But thinking of like Nitro, I just love the, it was kind of the unpredictable factor. You didn't know what was going to happen each week. I love that, you know, you can kind of come out of the announce booth and wrestle and then them do a kind of a tradition bites thing and stuff coming down from the ceiling and, you know, the crowd is nuts or throwing stuff in the ring. I mean, there's so many different compelling things and so much stuff going on that was kind of interwoven in the NWO storyline. It was crazy. But I feel like nowadays it's just a little too predictable. It's almost like, the writing isn't there. The creative isn't there. Maybe you're like you're right. Maybe there's not enough yeah. source. But what do you think about yeah. the creative end of it? Well, I hear that from uh, a lot of people. You know, it's it, it's it's been the same way a long time, and it's too predictable. I've had people, a lot of fans, tell me, and it it was funny because you know they they want to believe in it. They want to pretend and, and love it. 
and they've been making up ways to make it make sense because the, <laughs> the people say to me, is there a board in the back with everybody's name on it and a button? So if, if someone's doing an interview or having a match and you want to walk out, you can press your button and your music starts. So <laughs> then you're going to walk out or how do they know, you know? And then this other thing they do, I mean, if you watch the match, they do an entrance, which lasts five minutes, and then another entrance, which lasts five minutes. And then they do a tie-up, and within 30 seconds, someone, you know, took a bump outside the ring and lays on the floor like a dead body. The other guy stands in the ring and stops, and the announcer yells, we'll be right back on Raw. And it's to the point now... As soon as the guy falls out of the ring and lays like a dead body, people are getting up and going to the bathroom and going to get their drinks before they even yell, we'll be right back on Raw, because they know they're going to take a commercial break. You know, it's Hmm. it's predictable. And that was something WCW had. And and Nitro, yeah, it was never predictable. You couldn't wait to watch next Monday to see what the hell was going on. But you knew what was going on. You know, you get too much stuff going on. No one remembers. <laughs> oh, another guy running into a clothesline. Oh, another guy running into a foot. It's all the same. You know, you change it up. They definitely need to change it up. Now, I got to ask you this, just because I just think it's so great. You'd come up with some, when you were a commentator, just some, obviously when you were cutting promos as a wrestler too, I mean, you, you had a, a great quick wit and you were a great promo guy, but I just loved when you were commentating, you'd come up with stuff like the human game of chess and things like that. Is that something that's completely natural to you or is that something you're thinking of like, oh, I'm going to use this line here, this line there? You know what? I was a great ad-libber. It came naturally to me. I mean, I'd be driving down the the highway, you know, listening to a song like The Stairway to Heaven. And I'd say, oh, The Stairway to Heaven. And all of a sudden in my mind, I'd have a two or three minute interview, you know, talking about climbing the stairway to heaven to get to the belt and all this. You know, I mean, I'd hear something, you know, or I'd see something and and it would kind of just pop in my mind. Because back then... They would just say, hey, you got a two-minute interview and you're wrestling in uh, Cleveland. That's it. You know, everything you said was up to you. No one tells you what to say. You know, she so had to you know, sink or swim in the old days. But uh, I was just kind of, you know, gifted with the gift of gab, I guess. Do you think today it's a little bit too, you know, choreographed? And not, not the sense of the wrestling, I mean, I... Obviously, that is, but the promos, you think that's a little too much that these guys need to do it on their own to be their own character? Because it seems like any wrestler, you can kind of interchange them and they kind of say the yeah. same exact stuff in their promos. I know. Everybody's just, well, you guys, you know what? I don't even like to talk, you know, about business like this, but I don't even have to because you guys can see it for yourselves. It looks like exactly what it is. It's too, I would have produced it, you know, I mean, guys into the hallways and they're talking secret stuff and no one sees the camera crew, you know, with these skits. <laughs> so for me, it's kind of silly. I mean, Nitro, we didn't do that stuff. We kept the excitement going. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's amazing, you know, looking back about Nitro and things like that. I just can't believe, you know, that you, you could come out, right, and just stand and wave your finger and the crowd goes crazy. 
you were so over, and I don't think people realize this. You were one of the most over guys on that roster, feuding with Scott Hall. All you had to do was take, put, put your fingers up. <laughs> I know. It, it was fact. I won't name anybody, but a couple of our big hero good guy stars at the time were all getting mad because they were go- they were bitching about, what the hell's going on? The announcement's more over than we are. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you cracked me up. That was so great because you, you just sit there, you know, you, you do the little uh, wave of the finger. Well, you you, know, you take off the headset, the, you do that, and they yeah, would, would go great. That was the secret. That was the psychology. I mean, you know, you, uh, you know, how to make the people hate you, and then, you know, the people love you. How, you know, how you get to them. And, and, and that's that thing that's missing today that you guys are talking about. It's, it, it's kind of like the production got so awesome that the soul got a little lost in the shuffle. So now that the production's awesome and a new era is going global, just put a little soul back into the product, you know, make some big stars. So now we're I know, working on it. Nice. That is very good. Now we had you on a couple of years ago and we mentioned to you that we had on Dusty Rhodes. It was his last ever Interview was a couple days before he had passed, and the last thing he mentioned was turning heel on you, and he was laughing about it. What do you What do you think about Dusty turning heel and joining the NWO? Ain't laughing at you that he kind of stiffed you on, on an elbow drop. Well, it was funny. Yeah, we laughed. I mean, yeah, back then, I mean, the NWO was so hot that anybody with half a brain, even you know, wanted to be involved, and so you know, Dusty had to be in there. <laughs> But then, you know, he uh, he uh, he jumped up in the air and he landed on me with all 350 pounds of himself and just laughed his ass off, stiffed the hell out of me. And he thought it was great. <laughs> <laughs> I, probably, I probably got him uh, over the years <laughs> sometime or another. <laughs> Something, sometimes my spinning back kick was a little too low. <laughs> oh. <laughs> You know how yeah. you know how Ron you know how Ron Simmons talks. Yeah, oh yeah. You know he goes, damn, damn. I gave Ron a spinning back kick, but it was too low and hit him in the right spot. And as I turn around, I hear, "Damn, Larry!" <laughs> <laughs> oh god. <laughs> Now, as we hit the wind down button, we start to wind it down here. I just got to ask you, I mean, I have a good idea of, of some great matches you had and, and some of my favorites that you had. I really enjoyed. But what are your some, you know, some of your favorite matches that you've had in your career? Oh, God, you know, there were so many of them. And, and because of the way I, you know, was in the ring, I, I could have a match with anybody. <laughs> I could stall with anybody. So I had a bunch of great of them. And there were some guys that, that were kind of underrated because they were kind of goofy at the time. But, like, I, I mean, you know, we're working with Bruno was, you know, and I was young and that was exciting. And that was, like, the ultimate and excitement and thrills. But then getting to be a, a pro, all the guys I worked with were smooth and easy. I mean, you know, Bachwinkle was smooth and... And, uh, you know, Slaughter came up, and that was easy. I mean, I, you know, I worked with Harley. 
And I had a, I mean, Tommy Ritz and me had some great matches. One time me and Tommy wrestled an hour. I think it was in Cleveland. The place went nuts. When I went backstage, Harley Race grabbed me and said, God, that was the best hour draw I've ever seen. You know, got, you know to me, which was a huge compliment. But, you know, Tommy was a night off. Yeah, it was easy. It was really a fun time if you knew what you were doing because the crowd would want to kill you. You know, but it wasn't like today where we kept running around into clothes one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to run across the ring two times and dive on you, but don't move. Just wait there. Okay. Yeah, I don't know about the uh, psychology so much. Yeah, the... I know. It's an awesome production with a bunch of car wrecks, but that doesn't make people care about the cars. You know, they're interchangeable. Mm. They get cars. The new era is on the way. I shall say no more. Now, with I'll see Bruno, everybody in Jersey. Oh yes. Now, obviously, with Bruno, you had the feud of the year in 1980, and then there's just some other kind of underrated matches, like when you feuded with Steve Regal for the TV title. I feel like. Some of those matches are real underrated because you were kind of coming into the fold, turning you know, turning face, if you will. Yeah, I really enjoyed you know some of those matches as well. Yeah, the one with Regal was great. I was you know, doing the broadcasting, and I, it was also a way, you know, kind of me to you know, keep my face, you know, in the business and not being like washed up. So I, but when I saw Regal come in, Regal was great. I mean, in, in People hated him. He got heat just standing there with that look he had. And, uh, so I, you know, came up with this idea. I said, who would it? They had no one else for him to wrestle with. Because even in those days, no one was wrestling. They had a bunch of bodybuilders. So it was, you know, running into clotheslines or the torture rack. So no one could, you know, wrestle with Steve. So I worked something with him. And it was great. And it was novel, too, so that always gets, you know, people excited. But that worked out real good, and we had, we had some classic matches. In fact, after our one match, Brian Pillman was running around the dressing room going, God, Regal and Zabisco just put on a clinic 25 minutes, not one clothesline. <laughs> they were sitting clotheslines, and that was back in 1995. <laughs> it's so cold. That is great. I mean, they they may be overdoing them a bit, uh, as you as you, you would think? say. <laughs> now you know you would always like we said you always come up with stuff. You always have have, have different stuff, and, and you know Bischoff and, and Hall would kind of say tradition bite, and then you know you'd have an awesome line like Hall, I'm going to kick your ass like I did ten years ago. I mean, I, there's yeah. so many Zabisco lines that run through my head all the time, just because I was such a big fan of you and WCW at the time. Oh, well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah, a lot of people really, you know, put me over for the broadcasting, and I really appreciate it. And I love doing it. It was a great job. I mean, you know, especially when every, the other guys my age were starting to fade away, they gave me another good 10-year run, you know, on you know, big-time TV. So it was great for me, too. It worked out great. Uh, such a bridge between the generations. But before we wrap it up, we usually end it with what's your legacy in the business, but we've already talked to you about that. 
uh, the last time we spoke to you a few years ago. So I, I got to ask you this, and we talked to superstar Billy Graham, uh, I'd say about uh, about six weeks after Bruno passed away, and obviously he was your mentor, he was a friend, he was somebody you looked up to as, as a kid growing up, and obviously the, the Pittsburgh connection, and it's, uh, it's such a loss to the wrestling business, but what does the loss of Bruno San Martino mean to you, not just in the wrestling world, but in your life? Has there been a, 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 a huge void with Bruno's passing uh, almost a year ago already? Oh yeah, it was um uh, yeah, it, it was uh, it, it was hard for me. It was it was emotional. I was choked up for a while and I still miss him. I mean I can hear his voice on the phone, I can still hear his voice. You know. But um yeah, I mean that was uh, that was hard. I mean I I never thought he would die. He was Bruno. But uh, yeah, I, I I miss him. I mean, we we were close, you know, for fifty years. So all of a sudden, you know. But that's life. That's why you have to enjoy and live in the now. Absolutely. And hey, listen, if if folks can track down your book, Adventures in Larry Land, I suggest you get that because you can read those stories about. Larry growing up and, and his ties to Bruno and obviously everything going on with the feud. And if you want to check out our interview from a few years ago, we cover it in great detail. But you can come on out to Legends of the Ring on October 13th in Monroe. And you can ask these questions right to uh, the living legend himself, Larry Zabisco, in person at the Legends of the Ring convention. So, Larry, one last plug for the convention before we send you off here into the uh, the, the night sky the beautiful sky down there in Florida. So one more plug for the Legends of the Ring convention, if you can. Well, I'm looking forward to you know, seeing the fans. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's nice being retired, but it, it gets awful boring sometimes. So I, I really enjoy, you know, flying out and meeting people from different parts. And in that part of the country, that, that's like uh, where I started. That feels like home to me. So I, I look forward to it. And uh, I, I will be having a good time. <laughs> Very nice. We will be enjoying it, too. So uh, we look forward to seeing you here in, in a short while. And uh, all the best. Thanks so much for spending a couple minutes with us again tonight. All right, guys. Have a good one. I'll see you all soon. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.